Greetings. As a school teacher of 12 years now, I wish there had been a little more excitement about the reference to school. Um, but that's okay, because uh, today I have the privilege of preaching to folks who are part of the church that has been my home since 1984. Um, and it is an especially good day whenever I get to do that. To quote my prison ministry mentor, Rappin' Ron Brigman, before I speak to God's text, I should speak to, his, to its author. So, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that is your written word, the scriptures that we study to learn about you, to be drawn closer to you. We thank you especially as well for the gift of your word become flesh, your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that by your spirit this day, you will tell us what we should do and how we should serve him better. In his name we pray, amen. Today's text is from the book of Revelation. My students get an automatic F if they put an S on the end, so don't ever do that. It is the, reve the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Apostle John. In the passage I have chosen for, day, for today, John finds himself, he's exiled on the Aegean island of Patmos, and he's there, the scripture tells us, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He has had the bad form to go around preaching that Jesus, not Caesar, is Lord. And in our passage today, he's given a vision of the very throne room of heaven. And here is what he reports. Listen, please, for the word of God. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. This scroll, most, most believe, contains God's plan for the destiny of the world. And John is heartbroken that no one can break it open. But then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. You are worthy to take the scroll, they sang, and to open its seals, 
For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests serving our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands singing with full voice, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Of course they did. For what else could they do after what had been done for them? Well, it was the Saturday night before the Super Bowl, and I had gone up to my little exercise room upstairs because I was going to do some serious cycling. Serious is in the eye of the beholder, of course, but I knew that I needed to get a workout in because the next day during the Super Bowl would be one of the two times each year, the other's kind of like Fourth of July, where I... For, sorry, Travis, and your onion rings, but my world-famous combination of baked Cheetos and jalapeno kettle chips. Doesn't require much preparation. You just open the bags, pour them in, mix them up. It's great. And they make you thirsty, so there might be an adult beverage in my future as well. So I'm getting my workout in to get ready for that. I wanted to be a good boy. Well... While I exercise, I always watch something that I've recorded on the DVR. I got a little TV up there, and uh, there's lots of stuff in the queue, mostly from the Military History Channel. Not the History Channel, because there you get to see about pawn shops and ice road truckers, and I don't know what happened to the history in the History Channel, <laughs> but it all, it all moved over to the Military History Channel. And there are shows that are ancient because they used to be on the History Channel. So I just picked one. Chose to watch a show on the Battle of Iwo Jima, during which I learned the story of Herschel Woodrow Woody Wilson, who won the Congressional Medal of Honor for his gallantry in risking his life in the face of ruthless enemy resistance. When I came downstairs for dinner, couldn't wait to tell my wife, Charlotte, about this amazing man and what he had done. For four hours, he moved forward against a network of concrete pillboxes which the Japanese had constructed and which Woody and his comrades could not get past. Well, he armed himself with a flamethrower, which of course made him an ideal target couple of tanks of flammable liquid on your gas, one on your back, one shot and you go up like a giant fireball. 
But he attacked straight on those concrete pillboxes. And when he ran out of gas, he went back and got another flamethrower and another and another for four hours. When he ran out, he just kept going back. He saved a lot of his friends' lives on Iwo Jima that day. And he was only 21 years old. I think what I was doing when I was 21, and I admit that I choked up when I told my wife that story that night. Well, any of you who watched the Super Bowl, you may know the rest of the story. None other than Woody, Herschel Woodrow, sorry, Woody Williams, was brought out to perform the opening coin toss. I was so excited and wanted to make sure Charlotte didn't miss it. I said, that's the guy. That's the guy from the show last night. I had a new hero and a sermon. <laughs> and you're getting it. There simply is something that moves us deep down inside when we hear these kinds of stories of heroic self-sacrifice. Just grabs us in our gut. In fact, stories like this have moved all people at all times, in all cultures. Bravery and selflessness are universally honored. Cowardice and selfishness are universally shamed. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis cites this shared cross-cultural moral code as evidence for the existence of an omnipotent code giver, an omnipotent lawgiver who places these things inside of us, the one whom we know as God. Writing of self-sacrifice's opposite in mere Christianity, the opposite being self-preservation, Lewis says, just try to think of a country where people were admired for running away in battle. You might just as well try to imagine a country where two plus two make five. Looked at in this way, we can see clearly that our gut reaction to the Woody Williams story or any of the more recent examples of ordinary people putting themselves in harm's way for the sake of others. I'm happy they're doing that, but I'm sad that there have been so many opportunities lately for people to do these kinds of things. Those stories are simply pointing us to a greater truth, the truth that we find in the Lion of Judah, who also is the slaughtered Lamb of God. If we are deeply moved by the story of a soldier who risked his life for the sake of his comrades, comrades who might only live to die another day, in fact, many of them never made it off of Iwo Jima. If we're moved by that story of self-sacrifice, how deeply must we be moved by the story of the God-man who sacrificed not for one or even many, but for all, 
who sacrificed not that we might live a little longer, but that we might live abundantly now and forever. What do we do when the reality of what the Lamb of God has done for us sinks in? When we understand truly what has been done for us? Well, let's start with we all fall down and worship. We humble ourselves, acknowledging that the Lamb is worthy and that we are not. And we give him all honor and glory and blessing. That's why we're gathered here today. It's why we confess our sins and sing his praises. And we also give thanks. As our parents taught us, never forget to say thank you. We will do that today. We will pray a prayer of thanksgiving before the Lord's Supper. And we all, I think, do this every day and simply say to God, thank you. Thank you for the blessings that you have given me in this life. Thank you for sparing me so many things that could have done me harm. Thank you for rescuing me from those things that have done me harm. But most of all, thank you for the gift of the Lamb. To use the words of the Book of Common Prayer that I grew up with in the Episcopal Church, let us give thanks unto the Lord our God. And the people respond, it is meet, right, and so to do. Indeed it is. But we can't stop at worshipful praise and thanksgiving. To stop there would be to cheapen the grace which has been shown to us. To borrow a phrase from another one of my heroes, Patrick, uh, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We can't just stop with worship and thanksgiving. Yes, we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we are saved for something. And that something isn't simply going to heaven, as wonderful as that will be. That something for which we have been saved is what we found ourselves doing even as little kids, namely imitating our heroes. In the case of Jesus Christ, it means imitating the one who came not to be served, but to serve. It means taking up our crosses and imitating our Lord with costly acts of discipleship. Costly in terms not only of our time, our talents and resources, but of our very selves. Are we willing to make ourselves uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? And I ask this because in addition to worshiping the Lamb, thanking him for what he has done for us, and imitating his servant's nature, we are also called to proclaim his story. I, for one, and this is hard to admit, but it's true, I, for one, wish I could tell the story of Jesus Christ to others as easily and as excitedly as I told that story of Woody Williams to my life, to my wife. I wish I could tell the story of Jesus 
to my friends as excitedly and as easily as the Apostle Paul, who went from town to town preaching the message that the Lord's Messiah had come and who kept getting beat up and locked up for it. Are we willing, as Paul was, to risk a friendship, a family relationship, or just our plain old sense of comfort by proclaiming to others with our words and with our deeds the story of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. I think here of a book that I just finished, a new biography by N.T. Wright, who is a wonderful biblical scholar who communicates in thick tomes to theological students and much easier reads to folks like me that you can buy at Barnes and Noble. And he has a new biography of Paul. And if you can imagine a biography of Paul called a, and call it a page turner, this is it. It really is. Or maybe I'm just weird. But in it, Wright speculates. He says, when Paul went from Saul, the persecutor of Christians, to Paul, the one who took many lashings and beatings and imprisonments. What effect must that have had on his personal life? And he suggests that when back in Tarsus, where Paul was from, at Paul's age and given the way things worked in those days, Paul well, might well have been betrothed. When he went back and told his Jewish family of origin and his friends that Jesus was God. Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Lord. Wright says they probably told him just to move on. Any relationships that existed were no longer welcome with Paul. I don't know that that's the case, but certainly we can imagine that. <clears throat> when someone tells the story of Jesus Christ to someone who does not want to hear it. But we have to tell the story. We can fall down and worship. We can give great thanks. And we can imitate our servant Savior. We can do all those things. But our response to what Christ has done for us when deep down inside we get it has to include telling his story to others. You see, we just don't know how God in God's providence is going to use the story we tell. As has often been said, we are called to faithfulness, not to success. Proclaim Christ's saving death and then let the Holy Spirit go to work. Another one of my heroes is the Catholic priest Maximilian Kolbe. Many of you may know his story. He is known as the Saint of Auschwitz. He imitated his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by volunteering to take the place of another man who was going to be executed. The story goes that when, and it's true, when a prisoner escaped, 10 from that prisoner's barracks were taken 
to be executed. So you might be running around free, but you would have a guilty conscience, presumably, for the death of 10 of the people you left behind. Well, Colby was not among those picked. But when a Polish army sergeant, taken as a prisoner of war, pled for mercy from the commandant of the camp and said, please, please, I have a wife and I have children. Spare my life. And Colby, who I believe was about five years older than this man, said, oh, please, take me instead. I've led a good life. I've lived a good life. I'm five years older. He didn't say five. He just said, I'm older. And you know what? They took him instead. Now, when he did that, he didn't know that Franciszek Gajonacek worked on that name. That was the name of the Polish sergeant. He didn't know that man was going to live another 53 years. In fact, the odds were that the commandant would say, you want to die too? Fine, 11, 10, doesn't make any difference to me. Come on, I will execute all of you. But no, miracle of miracles, he let him take his place. And of course, what are the odds of the sergeant ever getting out of Auschwitz after that? But he did. But he did. And what did he do, this spared prisoner, in the 53 years that God granted him from that time? Well, in the words of his obituary in the New York Times, that's coming a long way, isn't it? In 1995, the Times wrote, he spent much of his life after World War II bearing witness to the sacrifice made for him by Father Colby. He traveled across Europe and the United States giving talks about the priest and helping dedicate new churches in his name. Quite simply, friends, what he did is he remembered what had been done for him and proclaimed it wherever he went. Nobody knew what God was going to do with that story, but we can see what has been done. Do this in remembrance of me, said Jesus, words that you will hear in just a moment. For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That's what Paul says we will be doing in celebrating the Lord's Supper together today. But I want to leave you with this. Let's not just proclaim what the Lord has done in-house, just among us folks. Let's be bold and tell those who have not heard the life-changing story of the lion and the lamb. Let's tell it to them and tell them that Jesus Christ reigns not because he is a lion who roared at us, but he is a lamb who suffered for us.